Hi, Rav Judah here with Masechet Vodazara, Perak Bet, Mishnehei, dedicated towards the merit of a complete recovery for Tova Miriam Bat Devorah Mindel. So let's talk about cheese. In fact, actually, let me begin with a cheese trigger warning um, and spoiler alert. So if you don't want to hear about cheese and halacha and what's the deal with cheese and kashrut, this is your time to turn off this recording and move on to another Mishnah. There's thousands of them out there. Have a great time. However, if you're continuing, you are agreeing to go ahead and hear what's actually happening with kashrut and cheese. So here we go. A uh, little background. I mentioned in the last mission that we would be getting to the issues of kosher cheese, and here we really are a bit more. Uh, to get fuller detail, one needs to go through the Gemara and Avodah Zaretz and the early Lamids, like Lamed Gimel, Lamed Dalid, Lamed Hay, somewhere around there. Um, look at the postkim. But in short, it goes as follows. There's a bit of a kashrut myth. The kashrut myth is that people say, ah, what makes cheese kosher or not kosher is the rennet used, and indeed, as indicated in the last Mishnah and the Mishnah we're about to do, rennet is a real issue. Rennet is a kashrut issue. Rennet is made often, it's the enzymes in a cow's stomach, a calf's stomach, and so whether a non-Jew used, you know, a, a non-kosher animal's stomach, an animal that was this, animal was that, these sorts of things, how they, how they do the rennet, could be a kashrut issue in and of itself. However, so therefore you'll find people who will say, ah, but microbial rennet should not be subject to any laws of kashrut, because if it's microbial, it's not from a calf's stomach. It's not classic rennet. And there's all kinds of complicated laws about how we use the rennet and how we make kosher cheese, because isn't that meat and dairy? So I'll leave that for learning your day at some other point. But there's specific ways that we make kosher cheese. Um, but ah, if there's none of that, shouldn't the cheese just be fine as is? It's a little bit more complicated than that, though, because there's a second set of concerns. And the second set of concerns is not just a kashrut concern of what the ingredients are, but rather who made it meaning that a Jew has to make the cheese. If a Gentile makes the cheese, it is not kosher. In this way, it's very similar to wine. We've seen that there's, a, there's wine that's actually idolatrous wine. That's a problem in and of itself. But then there's one that's just made by a Gentile. But the truth is, even if a Jew is standing over this Gentile's shoulder and watching this Gentile make wine and watches everything that goes into it, everything else, it still is stam yenam. It's still a problem to drink. So, so too, even if a Jew is standing there watching the cow be milked, so it's chal v'israel, and watching as they make it and watching the ingredients and they're doing everything we tell them to do, there's still the problem that like wine, there is a gzera, there's a decree against cheese made by Gentiles. And so cheese made by Gentiles, even with microbial rennet, is still cheese made by Gentiles. And hence, you can understand, I can appreciate there could be a lot of confusion about that, and it, it leads people to say, oh, why is this not kosher, etc. That is a chunk of the issue. It's not just the ingredients, a kosher issue. It's also this decree about Gentiles making the cheese, much like wine. Okay, with that in mind, so now we dive in. There's a variety of reasons given there, and I'll leave that for right now. Mishnah says as follows, I'm Rabbi Huda, Sha'al Rabbi Yishmael at Rabbi Yoshua, Kishahayu Mahalcha Madarach. So Rabbi Huda tells the following story. Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Yoshua were taking a walk on the road, and they're talking. So the recent decree, it's a Tanaitic decree from the era of the Mishnah, of, and the rabbis of the Mishnah. So Rabbi Yishmael says to Rabbi Yoshua, tell me, what, Rabbi Yishmael, what, um, why is it that, they, that there's a recent decree to forbid cheeses of Gentiles because, you know, is it necessarily a kosher issue? We could take care of that. We could make sure what they're doing and, and what they're using and the ingredients. There's even a notion in the Gemara that only the milk of kosher animals will properly curdle so, or the, the rennet of kosher animals will properly curdle, so therefore you have to assume maybe it's good. So what's the issue? So you answer back to him, He said, well, because they, they set up the cheese, they use the stomach 
of a non of, of a, an animal that wasn't shechted, a calf that died. So wait a second, but if you're going to say that, it, wouldn't you say that the the laws surrounding the stomach of a non-shechted animal? are going to be more lenient than the laws surrounding that of an ola, a burnt offering, where it all has to be burned. And we have very, very strict halachot about that kind of sacrifice. And isn't there an idea that a Kohen who is bold enough, I mean, it's not the kind of thing you normally do, you can't eat any of the meat of an ola, it has to all be burned. But if he wants to, and he's willing, he can take a straw, and he can drink raw milk out of the calf. Ola's stomach. So if this animal's been shafted to be a korban, he can take a straw, he can drink that milk. He can't cook it, because if he cooks it, if it's cooked at all, it'll heat up in the stomach, and that's going to be meat and dairy. That's why there are specific rules about how you make cheese anyway. But he could just suck it out of the straw if he so chooses and is so bold. So first of all, it happens to be that that's not so simple. Uh, the Gemara goes on to talk a little bit about that whole idea of just drinking the milk out, and it may be that, no, you're not allowed to drink it, but you could benefit from it, and you're really not supposed to benefit from it, but if you did, we're not going to make you have to deal with consequences for it. So that's not even so simple that that's okay, but that's not our point for right now. So he goes on and says to him, ah, here's really why. It's because they use idolatrous calves to uh, to be the source of this. And now it's an idolatry problem. So question came back, well, wait a second. If the reason is idolatry, if it's not kashrut, and it's and it's not about, it's not about kashrut issue, and it's about idolatry, then it should be forbidden in benefit too. You shouldn't be able to benefit even from non-kosher trees. You couldn't like sell it for a living or use it to, I don't know, it's oily, rub it on your skin or something, whatever, or feed it to your dog. Uh, do dogs eat cheese? I don't really know. But anyway, you get the idea. So that would be a problem. So apparently, uh, Rabbi Yeshua did not want to answer Rabbi Yishmael. And Gemara explains there, there's, there was a couple of things. There were further reasons, but there was also a general rule that we didn't talk about decrees for the first year they were made. Because if we talk about a decree, people are going to start arguing with it. We put it out there, let it get settled in, and then come and give the explanations for what was behind the decree of why the Sanhedrin chose that. So Rabbi Yeshua wants to distract Rabbi Yishmael, who keeps asking very good questions and trying to get to the heart of this. And part of this is, frankly, our mixing with Gentiles. It's like, it's like the wine. Right. There are rules about this, and you know, cheese, and if you're not going to have meals with cheese, you're not going to have wine with them, we're not going to be as mixed, which may be better for the Jewish people keeping our, our religious and, and marital integrity. In any event, so Rabbi Shua does not want to talk about this, Rabbi Shmuel, and Rabbi Shmuel keeps pressing, so he changes the subject. He seals the devil acher. He asks him something else. He just changes the topic. He says, oh, Yishmael, my brother. How do you read the following pasuk in the first parak of Shir Shirim? Ki tovim... Dodecha, dodaich miyayin, that your your love, your affection is better than wine. Is it phrased in the masculine or the feminine? Which would mean, is it the Jewish people talking to God? Because in Shir Shirim, the Jewish people play the feminine role and God plays the masculine role. So is it us talking to God and saying your love is better than wine, or is it God saying to us, O kitovim dodaich? Is it God saying to us, our love is better than wine? Hmm. kitovim dodaich. He said, Oh, uh, I think it's the feminine. Amalo in a devarcade. He said, No, I disagree. Why'd you ask him if you disagree? But he did it anyway. He's changing the topic. I disagree. Why? Because you have to look at a little bit later on it says, uh, it should be why. You have another passage that teaches you that says, Again, that's talking about your, your oils, your fragrances are good, but the end of that passage speaks about the feminine. 
And so since they're going together, you have to say that it makes better literary sense that also it's dodaich, not dodecha, it's the feminine, not the masculine. And he seems to have successfully distracted Rabbi Yishmael.